morning, turn with me to the Gospel according to John. The Gospel according to John and chapter 17. Now when I say that, some of you already know this text well. This is, by most biblical scholarly accounts, some of the most important words in the Bible. This is one of the most important sections in the Bible. And especially concerning our, what we often call, doctrine of the Holy Trinity, this is ground zero. So notice these words as we look just briefly at a portion of this grand text and really speaking by Jesus Himself. And we're going to pick up with verse 20 and move to the end. I do not ask, and by the way, this is a prayer of Jesus. In particular, it's been noticed as a high priestly prayer. And so with our series continuing on atonement, it's very appropriate that we would now look at Jesus in His most priestly form as He's praying. As priest for us. Notice these words. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, speaking of his disciples, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus, we thank you for your words to us this morning. Would you bless now these words, bring understanding, but more importantly, Lord, bring action on our part. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. We get just a, really we get the window of heaven opened up, the tinting removed, the curtain in the temple torn, and we get to peek behind the scenes and listen in to a conversation that has been happening before the world began. And now we get this sneak peek from Jesus Himself who is both God 
and human at the same time in one person, not confused, not distorted, but united by His divinity assuming His humanity. One person, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think... As best I can tell, this is really right here, what we've read. It's the purpose of atonement. I mean, when we talk in terms of atonement, most of us immediately go to these images. Yes, he substituted himself. I was supposed to die, but instead he raised his hand and went for me. Or maybe all of these other images that we get, as I said, different perspectives on this side... He's such a moral example that now we follow him as our exemplar. Or, he has now defeated things that we could never defeat, namely the principalities and the powers of darkness, and he has disarmed them. So that now, yes, there's a lion roaring about, seeking to devour you, but he doesn't have any teeth. He can only gnaw. And he gnaws away at us, doesn't he? That'd probably be a good replay on, on the live feed, I imagine. Somebody could take that and probably make a nice meme of that. You know, with, uh, with no, just gumming us to death. And that's all he can do because he's been disarmed. The enemy has been... So, we get these various... And we're going to talk about these images. I'm trying to get to these images of the atonement. But before we get there, because we always go there first, what is the real purpose of at-one-ment? And it's in the Word itself. You heard it in the language of God in the flesh, didn't you? I in them, they in us, you in me. I mean, you've got these prepositions leading us into and intertwined with. And I mean, if you start diagramming this passage, you're going to fill up a page. A beautiful page of His interpersonal, divine, holy, self-giving, Love. I mean, I, I, I'm just telling you, this passage should always be in our back pocket. This is ground zero for why Jesus suffered according to the Scriptures. We just said it today in the Nicene Creed. Why He came as a human according to the Scriptures. Why He had to die according to the Scriptures. Why He resurrected according to the Scriptures. Prophesied by the prophets. Carried forward by the apostles. Even to this day, in this apostolic office, and behind this sacred desk, being proclaimed to you today as disciples of Jesus. That will then go and tell more people, as He indicated, and is assuming we're going to do. That's right. Let's do the Haiti thing for this. I mean, if you don't want to say amen, just do something like this or something. I mean, this 
is ground zero for what the good news is. If, if, if it's been confusing to you, it is here. And it must be uncovered and it must be received. It must be dove into. The door must open. And we must let him in. But before we do that, we really have to sometimes rewind to get the whole picture. And, of course, when you rewind the story, you go back to Genesis, right? And in Genesis, and as we talked about last week, God Himself makes all things. I love the Nicene Creed. If you just catch the language, all things seen and unseen. That's everything. That includes spirits, angels, the demons... Everything He creates. But there is one creation. Just one. And, and, and this just, every time I teach about this, and I just confess, every time I teach about this in my world religions class, it's this point that fundamentally differentiates Christianity from everything else. Is this premium placed on the scum of humanity, the dirt of humanity. And let me tell you, the religions don't have nice things to always say about humans. We don't always have nice things to say about humans. And yet, in the beginning, at the beginning of the story, when we rewind the tape, when we start sifting through the different episodes, all the way back to the back, God takes dirt and breathes in an interpersonal way His holy breath into us and makes us what we call today a person. And that means something. He says we're created in His image after His likeness. We are an icon of God. Not the other way around. We're the analogy, he's the reality. We're the metaphor. The metaphor is happening down here. The reality's here. The symbol points to a reality. The symbol's not the reality. The symbol's not the reality. The symbol's not the reality. Everybody with me? Points to the reality. And we participate in the reality of something beyond ourselves and really above our pay grade. Jesus doesn't break bread and say, take and understand. No, no, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think you understand, Judas. No. Jesus says, eat, dip here in my bowl. And Judas does. The one that will betray him. Many of us have taken and we've dipped and we've betrayed. Our end doesn't have to be like Judas though. Because there was another there at the table that took and dipped and betrayed. His name was Peter. I don't even know that man. 
Can you imagine somebody that loves you saying that when they're in front of a different group of people? I don't really know them. And I say that about my kids all the time. Whose kid is that over there? That's weird. I wonder where their parents are. Just kidding. I only do that occasionally. No, he says, I don't know you. And Judas goes out and ends his life because he's overwhelmed with guilt. Gives the money back and then ends his life. Peter also is overcome with guilt, weeps and repents, and is restored and becomes a pillar in the church. Continues his apostolic witness. We are made in the image of God. And part of that is laughter. It really is. Animals don't quite get laughter. They don't. That's one thing that differentiates us, I think, fundamentally from animals. I can do something really stupid in front of my cat and it just... Whereas Jessica's in the floor doubled over. Typically, it's me getting hurt in some form. (laughs) When animals tumble in the safari, no one laughs out there. But we laugh when we tumble. We laugh at each other when we tumble. God laughs, the psalmist says. We are made in His image. But I want to say something. Let's rewind even further than the creation of humanity. Because that's what this text is about. This is about before the foundation of humanity. Or the world. And there we have to go to where we start all of our theological discourse. And that is with Jesus. Jesus is the beginning of all things. The Son of God is both the beginning and the end. We were made, Paul says in Ephesians 1, in the image of Christ. We were made for the Son of God. That somehow says something that's beyond my understanding, but it says something to the effect of before we ever sinned, we were already made like the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God. This is why some of our Christian theologians throughout the years have mused that even if we wouldn't have sinned against God, His plan was always to become one with us, to be with us, to be one of us. When we rewind all the way to Jesus, He reveals quite a bit. We talked last week that in the creation, it's clear that we're made for God. We're made for one another. We're made to love self too. One can't give what one doesn't have. 
and we're made to love nature. Which is a beautiful concept. And atonement rights all four of those relationships. I mean, if you want a picture of sin, just go down the list. Wrong with God. Wrong with others. Wrong with self. Wrong with nature. Broken here. Broken there. And you've got a nice little picture of sin. Atonement brings oneness to our relationship with God. Oneness to our relationship with one another. Oneness to reconcile even self. Even my person. Marshall. You insert your name. And then oneness, proper oneness to nature. To creation. He has made us wonderfully, hasn't he? It's a great mystery how he's made us. And yet, this creation reflects him. In other words, we are the reflection pointing to a reality. That God himself is a relationship. God himself is a family. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That God Himself is a dynamic communion. Jesus says so, doesn't He? I came from my Father. He is spoken of as the, in Greek, monogenes, which is only begotten of the Father. He's the only one. And then he says, I have to go back to the Father because there's another coming. What? The Holy Spirit. Who will remind you of what I've taught you and point you to the Father. Can I just tell you something? In the religious community, no one's talking like that. And by the way, We are one. There's only one God, not three. And that one God exists as three persons. You know, in psychology, you deal with self and person. Some of you have taken classes in psychology, maybe introductory level and so on and so forth. There's two words that are used, though, to define person, like where we actually get our term. One is prosopon. Which means it has the idea, it's coming from sort of a Greek understanding of the theater. Prosopon, put a face on. It's a mask. It's the idea of putting a mask on and, or a hat, if you will. I'm a dad. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a son. I'm a preacher. So when you put these various masks on. That's who you are. You play these roles. The early church fathers, as they were, especially the Cappadocian fathers... Which, by the way, most of the language from the Nicene Creed that we actually looked at were from the Cappadocian Fathers. Uh, I, I really want to go into teacher mode all of a sudden. I'm really, really resisting. Help me, Lord. Um, one of them was named Basil the Great, uh, Gregory Nazianzus, and Gregory of Nyssa. These guys formed a lot of the language that we still hold to today. And one great thing that they helped do was they said, 
God's not putting on a mask. In other words, when we read the text about Jesus and His words concerning His Father, how yes, they're one, but not my will, but thine. That's two wills. All of this dynamic language, they start taking seriously and say, you know what? It's not like Marshall, who is a father, who's a husband, and who's also a teacher. Because he's just one person. We're dealing with three persons. One God. Trinity. Triunity. Trinity in unity. And they start making up these words that lead to what we understand as person. Hypostasis is actually the term. Three hypostasis in one usia. Now some of you are engineers, so don't roll your eyes if I start using some big words. and stuff. You've got big words that you deal with. Okay, This is my profession, alright? I can use a big word every once in a while. Some people are like, you should never use those kind of words. Okay, uh, we just got that out of the way, alright? Three persons... One God, one God in three persons, not one person acting out three roles. This is a community, a trinity, as we say. Now, of course, trinity is not used in the Bible, but all the terminology I have been using is. And so they're wrestling and saying, I think we're going to call this trinity. But our term for person actually comes out of that theological discussion. So you can thank them for what we mean by personhood, personality. And what what the personhood of God reveals to us is that no person is self-originating. No human person is self-originating. Not one of you. No human person is ever self-sustaining. No person is self-explanatory. I say, tell me a little bit about who you are. You cannot do that without other people. There's no way to do that without others. That's why when we say things like, you must be in community. It's not a joke. It is reality. Others define you. You don't define yourself. If you go search for yourself in the woods, you'll never find you. Therefore, it shouldn't be a shock that we're also not self-fulfilling. Our happiness, our joy, love is found in another, not in ourself. For we were made by another. We exist for another. And we're going to return to that other. But that other doesn't have to remain cloudy. He has revealed himself clearly in our heavenly good Father, 
the Almighty. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life. The flame of love. The communion of God. Does anybody see why I like theology so much? It's the study of the beloved. And so, Jesus prays for us. Let that sink in, in this text, and says, I in them, you in me, and they may become Perfectly one. Perfectly also is a... It's a... um, Not a serious word. What am I looking for? Technical term? We think in terms of perfect being without defect. That's not that word. That's not that word in Greek. It's, It's final end. Telic. End. There's an end by which it was made for and it becomes perfectly one. It's really almost our term consummation, which I actually looked up today, consummate. Bring to its final conclusion, end. And, of course, in the one human union, marriage must be consummated. Sexually. And God says, that's good. Got real quiet in here then, huh? And out of that consummated marriage, what naturally is the result of that union of love is another. That's how you got here. Love brings forth life. Love brings forth life. Love brings forth life. I think that is just beautiful. We're the metaphor. He's the reality. What is a good father? Defined by that father. Not these fathers. We're following after that father. God is a triunity of love. Not just God in some general sense, but God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working for our atonement, praying for our oneness. And he's asking God for it. And he's sending God to accomplish it. What a God. What kind of God is this? It's one that must be worshipped. He is one that must be worshipped. Not just understood, but worshipped. When we've reached the end of human language, 
we bow down and we worship. I'll end with this. We sometimes think of God's grace as something we have to work for and angle toward and got to clean things up before He can really get it to me. This is wrongly thought out grace. Grace is at the door. Grace is knocking at the door. All we got to do is open up. I, I would just reverse the picture. Instead of darkness consuming the world and we're trying to find the light, think of light consuming our world. His grace everywhere around us and our eyes closed. Just open and see today by faith the beauty of of holy love poured out in these sacraments which point us to the reality of communion with God, with each other, with self, with the world that we live in. It's a comprehensive, exhaustive plan of salvation for us and it's at our door. The voice of my beloved. Look, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, bounding over any hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag in pursuit of me. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise. My love, my fair one, and come away with me. For now the winter is past and the rain is over and gone. The flowers are appearing on the earth and the time of singing has come and the voice of the turtle dove is heard all throughout the land. The fig tree puts forth its figs and the vines are in blossom They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away with me. All we have to do is say yes. And we are whisked away into His love. Into a marriage union of God and man. He in us and we in Him. May it be so. King Jesus, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.